Hi everyone, Dan here. And before we start the show, I'd like to take a moment to talk about the WMQ&A Patreon and what it can do for you. For example, did you know we have a monthly bonus podcast called Our Son Pete, in which a guest joins me to talk about a comic starring British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom? It's true. This month, Austin Gorton and I covered Excalibur number 99, and it was a blast. We talked about Onslaught, why smoking is bad, about how smoking in comics can be used to do cool things, proper posture for reading about Spanish torture in bed, and more. We also have Pete Wisdom stickers designed by Kevin Newburn that say hot claws on them and look great. But maybe that's not what you're looking for. Maybe you're an up-and-coming creator trying to get the word out about your Kickstarter, Zoop, webcomic, or independent book. We can only do so many hour-long interviews in a month. But for $25, we'll dedicate a 60-second spot to shouting out your project, guaranteeing you a few hundred extra earballs. Or maybe you want to advertise your mattress in a box or online therapy program or your pubic hair trimmer. For $50 a month, you can sponsor the show. Who wouldn't want to hear me read ad copy about custom-fit underpants or whatever? These are all options available to you, but only if you back us at patreon.com slash WMQComics. What are we going to do? Say no to your money? Actually, we will if you're a Nazi. But you're probably not. Right? WMQA! Hello and welcome to the 250th episode of WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week's guest is the artist of the upcoming series, The Giant Cockjew at Image, uh, as well as the recent Scotch McTiernan books, Scott Koblish. Welcome, Scott. Hello. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So, uh, First time guest question. What are some of the first comics that you remember reading? Oh, boy. Uh, so I got into comics a little bit backwards. I, 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 I used to love watching the. I used to love drawing just period. I started drawing when I was like three or something or just all the time drawing when I was about three or four. And then I would draw stuff off of the TV. And then I saw there was uh, some Spider-Man. There was a Spider-Man animated show that was on um that really caught my attention and my appreciation and uh i used to love watching that it was a the old ralph um from the 60s but they were being rerun on uh, my local uh, new york channel and uh they blew blew my mind off of it was amazing and then like i found out that there was a uh uh, in the local newspaper there was a spider-man anime spider-man newspaper strip which i adored and uh that was uh, done by stan and john ramita senior mm-hmm. and uh then i found out that there were comics i didn't really know too much about them my cousins had a few comics i had gotten a few comics my mother had brought me some comics uh when i must have been sick or something like that and um uh i read i read them but uh what she'd done when she'd picked up a whole bunch of spider-mans because she knew that i liked spider-man and uh, uh but she picked up marvel tales spider-man and spider-man um which wouldn't have been a problem except that like that month for some reason there was a uh she picked up she picked up two sets of comics so the one of them was uh it was um the vulture uh fighting uh spider-man and then mm-hmm. uh in marvel tales it's also the vulture sp- fighting spider-man <laughs> So uh, and then uh, again, the other one was Man Wolf, like the first appearance of Man Wolf in a reprint. And then there was like a John Byrne Man Wolf story where uh, uh, I couldn't figure out like 
how it worked. Like, uh, like, cause, uh, cause the end of the, the first appearance of man, wolf man, Spider-Man sitting on like a rooftop and uh, uh, having saved uh, J Jonah Jameson earlier story. Um, uh, and he's standing, he's sitting on the rooftop and man wolf is about to jump him from behind. And then um, the next issue I, I thought was the next issue was uh, was uh, Man Wolf uh, like about to leap onto Spider Man, and Spider Man's holding J Jonah Jameson. I didn't quite understand exactly how that worked, but how how he moved from one place to the next, and the storyline was pretty similar. But uh, thought that they they went into one another, so I, I was immediately confused and. But it was Spider-Man. I was so excited. It was stuff that I I, uh, I wanted to read, and um, that was that kind of stuff. And then my my cousins, um, uh, one of my uncle's friends was a colorist over at Marvel, Bob Sharon, hmm. and uh, so my mother knew that um, uh, that there were there were jobs in it, you know. And uh, I knew I knew at age seven that I wanted to be a comic artist. And uh, my mom was like, all right, well, if that's what you want to be, then we'll move forward on that, that idea. So, uh, I, you know, I'm still on plan A, basically. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I loved comics. I thought that they were just really fascinating. The one great thing about comics is that you can, um, it's one of the few mediums that I had as a child where you could stop everything, look at it, and then kind of... Uh, um, engage in the in the sort of idea of figuring out how it worked like film and tv like all that stuff was going 90 miles an hour it it it, it had the, and i had no way of pausing it like when i was a kid so there was no way for me to like take a look and see like how the the um, the frames framing worked or to see how the scenes were working together with one another you wouldn't i wouldn't see like a movie twice um, or a TV show twice. I guess sometimes you see a TV show twice, but try not to. And then, um, uh, but in comics, you could flip through the whole thing and you could see where it started and you could see what happened in the middle of it. And you could see what, you know, the cliffhanger, the, they were big on cliffhangers in the seventies. So there was always a cliffhanger that you were kind of uh, thrilled by. And, um, you know, you could kind of spot that there was a an opening sequence, uh, even if it was just wrapping up the previous cliffhanger, there was an opening sequence where Spider-Man uses his powers and then takes off the mask and goes about his day, you know, with his his aunt and his uh, co-workers and his girlfriend. And then there's something that happens that gets him back into being Spider-Man and he races around and then there's a cliffhanger at the end of it. So it was kind of interesting to be able to sort of see all this happening in front of you, you know, um, I just, like I said, I didn't have a VCR or anything like that to pause stuff. So this was as best as I could get, you know, besides reading books to see how things actually worked. And uh, since I love drawing, books were, you know, a huge part of my life or reading and stuff like that, but it, they didn't, they didn't fire up my imagination the way that comics did in a visual medium. So, um, so that's kind of how I started. Uh, and then I, I was lucky enough uh, in summers, I was over in uh, Cape Cod and they had a couple places that I could go to get some comics. And uh, that was great. I'd walk tremendous distances to try and get some comics. And then, because one, one shop had more DCs 
and another shop that was even further away had Marvel stuff. So I would stop at the DC, you know, thing first because it was a little closer, and then I would go to the Marvel one a little further past. And there was one stop uh, that was in between that they had these little bag comics where um, there was three of them. Oh yeah, in a bag. And uh, the th- and that was always dicey because I I would I would put the thirty five cents down or the eighty five or however much it was I'd put that money down if if I only had one of the front and if the other one was uh, was one I didn't have you know what I mean and then I'd take a chance on the middle like not knowing how I could get to the middle one you know like you open up the middle and if it was two if it was one that you had already read. Wah, wah, wah. you know you only got one new, <laughs> one new comic but like if i if uh, if i was able to get all three that i didn't have that would be amazing so you know it was that kind of thing that and then um uh yeah and then i then i was lucky enough in the town that i lived in in morristown in new jersey there opened up a, a hero's world which was a, a big uh, comic shop um and uh, you know, once my mom figured out what I wanted to do, there was a there was an also there was a school that was kind of close by the Joe Kubert School, and that was in Dover, New Jersey. That was about a 20, 25 minute ride away, and they dropped me off there on Saturdays in the morning from when I was like nine years old until about sixteen, yes. And uh, Joe Kubert used to teach the classes, and then Mike Chen used to teach the classes, and uh, Joe was uh, obviously Joe Kubert, and Mike was um, pretty much Joe's like second in command there, and then took over the school at some point, and now it's moved on. But uh, yeah, I I spent a lot of time at the Kubert School, you know, and then then I decided to, to go somewhere else for college, but. You know, it was it was nice to get that kind of training early on. You know, I saw my first script that I ever read, like uh, that I was trying to draw from, was a script of um, it was a backup from a from Atari Force, which Atari Force was one of my favorite comic books, and um, the 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 backup was uh, it was one of those um, oh, there was this little rat rat guy. Oh, I've forgotten his name, but anyway, there was this uh, little rat thief guy, and um, and he was involved in some sort of crazy, um, crazy adventure. But I, I managed to get the script for that, so I sat down to try and draw that. Um, uh, and uh, drawing from scripts is difficult. It's it's not it's not the same as drawing from your own imagination. So before I had had my, you know, I would draw my own comics and things like that, but actually doing it from a script is uh, tough and I, I've never found it to be the, the easiest way to do it. It's not the hardest way to do it certainly, but scripts are always, you, you have to get inside somebody else's head <laughs> and then, and then you have to kind of make it, uh, make it appear to be yours. You know what I mean? So like even you have to make some decisions about what you want to play up and what you want to focus on. So at any rate, that's uh, neither here nor there. But um, yeah, that's my early days. You know, I read comics and and um, read science fiction, and was really excited by all that stuff, uh, fantasy stuff, and uh, and then you know, plan A was just to be a comic artist, and I guess I I'm here. So <laughs> <laughs> so plan A is working, uh, listeners. I I, I got to tell you when Scott was talking about. Uh, you know, 
Morristown and the Cooper School and all the North Jersey references. It was just like two minutes of Matt and I just vigorously yep. nodding uh, from oh, recognition. Really? Yeah, we we oh, both yeah. grew up in uh, North Jersey, uh, yeah. so. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, I wow. went. Right. I, I went to college at Drew, so. Oh sure. Yeah, yeah. my mom. Uh, my my grandmother also went to college at Drew. Uh, she. When she retired, she'd actually lied about her age uh, all the way through her uh, her school. She was a school teacher. She lied about her age, and and they finally caught on uh, at the time <laughs> that she was seventy eight, that she was uh, taking ten years off of her age. But um, but uh, at any rate, she was she didn't want to be doing nothing, so she went over to she lived in Convent Station, so she would just go over to to drew there and uh, took every class that she could you, you might have gone to school with her to be honest so <laughs> yeah and, uh, and uh i i worked at uh dewey's comic city the comic shop in madison for 15 years wow that is now the shop in the basement of the cooper school oh no way really oh they, they moved it over there yeah That's because pretty- anthony marquez who is the current owner and the guy who runs the cooper school also bought dewey's so oh. he merged the two together when Dan, who owned Dewey's for 26 years, finally retired and looked to sell. So Anthony just bought the two and made it one big complex now. Hey, that's so cool. Uh, That's really neat. I like to hear that. That's wonderful. uh, Yeah, I never went to Dewey's because Heroes World was such a big... I could walk there from the high school. So, like, I would walk from the high school over to Mars... to, to, um, Heroes World, and then uh, I would walk back home. I actually, I, I, I just uh, out of curiosity's sake, a little while back, I've it's it was about four miles for me to walk home from Heroes World. So I'd you know, and then I'd have to do it all or, across Route Twenty Four for some of it. So Ooh, yeah, okay, that, yeah, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd be walking along like all these cars are whipping by at fifty five and. Plus in these blind curves, but uh, I don't know. That's where I read like, um, you know, Alpha Flight 12, where like Guardian dies. And I remember reading all sorts of like uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, issues, like just on the walk back, you know, so in the winter, it got dark, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but uh, I really I I had a great time reading comics. I really loved it. I, I kept it to myself. Because um, at my age back then, it was not okay to really tell anybody that you were reading comics, um, especially uh, into high school. It was not really, it was kind of frowned upon. Um, but because I was going to the Kubert school, I, I knew enough uh, or I had enough uh, firepower from uh, talking to Joe about stuff that I could sort of uh, fight back and say, well, this is a, a medium of a uh, storytelling do you know what i mean like I, I could kind of fight that back um which i don't think a lot of other people had you know so uh and i was drawing all the time i was pretty obvious like what i wanted to do i i kind of regret like um uh just taking normal classes because i took a ton of normal classes i uh, there was only one art class in the school and eventually i went to votech uh, over at um mount Tabor there for um there was a vocational technical school that had a, 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 a commercial art kind of thing. Uh, so we were in there with all the plumbers and the auto mechanics and stuff like that of the future. And um, I really liked that class too. That was my senior year. That was half of the half of the day. 
was being over at um, at Votex. So I mean, I have a pedigree about a mile long. I'm kind of like one of those little, uh, uh, you know, like uh, purebred puppies. You know what I mean? Like they kind of <laughs> they have um, they have a huge pedigree, you know. But it's it's just a matter of um, uh, you know, I I had training from when I was nine years old, you know. So uh, it's been a weird kind of, uh, uh, functioning existence because, uh, there's times where I, I know more about things than other people I'm talking to, but I also tend to know less about some other things that other people are talking about as well. So like, I, I have a few blind spots. I have a few spots where I know way too much, you know, because uh, nobody cares about like, uh, how much, you know, about, uh, Alex Raymond's output back in 1925 you know like nobody cares about that kind of stuff but joe kubert loved that kind of that was his excitable stuff he would he would say like what are what are the things that you like you know and i would go oh my gosh i'm really into this guy john byrne i'm really into this guy george perez and and uh and and uh, joe would say well that they're great but what you really should be focusing on are these guys that i really loved you know so like hal foster and Alex Raymond and uh, Milton Kniff. So like I had this weird kind of like uh, um, old man focus of, you know, (laughs) like, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of any of anybody who I knew uh, even knew about those things whatsoever. I, you know, the, all those, all those uh, newspaper comics from, you know, the, the, the Flash Gordons and stuff like that, that, that stuff had been out of print for decades by the time that I'm sitting there, like getting really into it. So um, it's kind of like uh, uh, being like a 13 year old kid and obsessed with jazz. Like it's, it's just not, it's not a normal function, you know? So, <laughs> but, uh, but that's the kind of stuff that I, uh, Joe was always pushing towards me to the old Windsor McKay drawings and that kind of stuff. And um, it was uh, really exciting to see that sort of stuff. Uh and to think about it and uh, certainly to sort of copy it um, as far as the stuff that um, I was excited about, like uh, not really copy like where I'm tracing it, but like look at that stuff and think about the things that, that you could do. But as a kid, I was obsessed like everybody else was with Teen Titans and the X-Men and things like Spider-Man and stuff like that. If I, I think if X-Men had not been around, I probably would have faded off from because I love Spider-Man, but I probably would have faded off a little bit more than I did. X-Men was just so engrossing all throughout the 80s and was uh, just an incredible story and had a lot of like themes that you could really latch on to. Um, and it was really dense in a way that um, comics aren't any longer. Um, and uh, but it really kept my attention span, you know, like uh uh, I was just obsessed with the, the X-Men stuff. And then, of course, trying to find old old back issues to fill in the, the gaps that I had. I, that was a tough one. My first X-Men comic was a 138, which was a oh. great, the best comic to ever, like, jump into the X-Men on. That That's because... the uh, the Cyclops sad walking away cover, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's Cyclops. The first of many. Uh, yeah, but it's him remembering everything. So like they literally go like, oh, my first day here was this day. And then and then this happens and this happens and this happens. And then it's all dovetailed into the 
the funeral for Jean Grey. It's beautiful. It's 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 an incredible. I mean, everybody was firing on all cylinders uh, in that book. Like uh, at that point, the lettering, the the inking, the penciling, the the writing, just everyone was incredible. And then to find out that they they kind of scrambled to even get that book to look a little bit different, I, I was shocked uh, because uh, they, you know, what I learned is, and, and it took me years to get one thirty seven. Um, because it was just, there was, it was not around. I, I, mm -hmm. there was one little shop that I was able to get 137 at, uh, but I was so angry because it had John Byrne's signature on it. Um, because, and because it raised the price up from what it would have been like $10 to 20. And so I had to save up like a lot more money in order to buy it. And I was so mm -hmm. anxious that it was going to go away. It was up on the, on the board there. I was so anxious that it was going to go away, but at any rate, like, um, 138 is a perfect story, a story to, to jump in on that. Cause then I kind of was an expert in that immediate kind of way. Do you know what I mean? That like, um, sure. um, I, I really, I think that, that comics as, especially, uh, comics from Marvel and DC, they have this, uh, long history and, and, uh, part of what I liked as a kid was being an expert at it. I don't really know why that that really fired up my imagination, but, but it was kind of like, you kind of knew something that other people didn't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and, and until I got into, you know, I got into the actual field and then you meet people who know even more, you know, like that was, that was always tough. Then then you bump into people who know like way, way more than you do, you know? So, but at any rate, like, um, 138 was my first one. And then I think the next issue I caught was 142. Um, and then I read uh, over people's shoulders at the Kubert School, some of these other issues. I think I read 140 at uh, over somebody's shoulders. Um, but it took me years to be able to pull like all that stuff together. And I, I think even by the time that the first trade paperback of it came out, uh, I still was missing one or two issues um from from that run i think i was missing missing 135 or something like that so when trade paperbacks came out it was a joy it was a godsend because then i could actually like catch up on everything without spending like an arm and a leg or finding only one issue and then not being able to find other ones you know like so i still dark, don't dark phoenix was like one of the first ones wasn't it like one of the first collected stories yeah that was, exactly you have a had a bill sinkevich cover <laughs> which i still remember to this day because uh colossus didn't look 100 percent right to me like in my head like um but uh yeah it, it was uh one of the first trade paperbacks of everything i read it to the point where it felt, started to fall apart the the glue the binding on the on the because it's a perfect bound book the binding mm -hmm. was just started to fall off but um yeah so uh yeah and to this day i actually because i i on a trip once down to baltimore when i was like maybe 13 or something like that i was able to pick up like a whole bunch of uh daredevils uh, frank miller daredevils but they're all out of order and there was like huge holes missing i still uh, to this day have a very difficult time understanding like in a, like with x-men i know i know it by heart like where it starts where it goes what what it goes up to about like issue 278 or something like that like i know that by heart but like but the daredevil stuff was so confusing to me because um 
there there are if you look at it like every year he's kind of repeating some themes so like he'll have the punisher there's like a two or three issue punisher story and then like there's a like seven more issues and then there's like a two or three issue punisher story do you know what i mean like or or you would dovetail like a electra and then it would be like the punisher then like other things and then you know or some kingpin stuff like it was all i still don't know i even have a trade that i bought recently the omnibus just to try and read it like all the way through but still struggling with it at any rate because that's how comics were i i didn't have a, a an ability to read them all straight through uh, i had to read them as they were coming out and find which ones i could well listen you know you are here uh primarily to promote uh, the the giant cock jew which is a a three-issue image series with writer Jerry Duggan, with whom you have collaborated uh, before, obviously, on, on Deadpool and the Scotch McTiernan books. Uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and read the, uh, the old solicit text there for the listeners. This is a tale of woe about a monster with physical needs. It needs a restroom. It needs food, too. And, most unfortunately, it needs sexual satisfaction the only thing standing in its way are the men and women of science we're proudly flying our m rating for violence mild gore sexual situations nudity dudity turds comedy drama and uh, some very tasteful swearing okay i had to mute myself on that one i almost lost it <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I had to read it myself a few times before <laughs> to make sure I didn't laugh and or to get the pitch just right. Well, well done. Well done. But uh okay, so this giant monster fucks. That's that's the idea, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the exact idea. That's actually how Jerry sort of pitched it to me. And I was like, I was like, all right, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> it was, I was like, I was like, you know what? There's a lot in here. I think that we can play around with, and uh, it's been a blast to do. I, I just, I really enjoy it a lot. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't go where like it immediately goes off the rails, and then doesn't go anywhere you want it to go <laughs> after that. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I really, I, I had a blast doing it. It's, uh, it's such an unusual project, and. Um, yeah, and I like the way that Jerry's brain works. So we've been working together for about 11 years now. Um, I guess we started on Deadpool back in 2012 or 2013. So um, yeah, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. You know, we we've been doing all sorts of projects together. So like this one is uh, is pretty crazy. It comes out April 12th. Mm -hmm. So the FOC date is like today. So, but. Um, the uh the, it's a three issue mini series so if you miss the first issue uh pick up the second and the third one ask your retailer to get the the first one again for you um and uh uh, uh it's a it's a blast it's a it's a really fun comic we uh, the co the colors are done by hi-fi uh, over there do amazing things the first time i worked with them was one on some george perez uh book um probably legion of three worlds and uh, I just was blown away by their attention to detail and like just a great color sense. So like I've been really roping them into doing all the projects with us over an image. Like um, I had them doing the Scotch McTiernan books 
and um, the, they really got it with a uh, with a uh, cockshoe because um, there's a there's a sequence. I'm not giving too much away, but uh, uh, I think it's page six and seven where like uh, cockshoe, he's he's come to town. He's roared and then he just he poops on everybody. Um, that's the first thing he does. And um, but uh, the, they 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 colored it green. I kind of expected brown or something like that, but they colored it like a bright lime green. And it worked so beautifully, just like with the monster being this uh, sort of maroon pink um, kind of monster that I was like, oh, this is they get it. Like, you know, we're having a blast here. It's just a fun book, you know, from from top to bottom. Um, uh, you know, we try and add in some human human element in there there's a couple of characters that are running around that like um that we'll care about you know but um but the monster is the the one that uh, that's the important one in there and there's a there's a giant robot i don't want to spoil too much but uh second issue there's a giant robot that uh like a mech kind of um thing that comes in and then the 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 way the monster is defeated in the third issue is uh, mind bendingly like uh, disturbing. So like I, <laughs> you know, until people get there, I want people to get there on their own. So, but it's a blast. You know, it's it's three issues and comes out. It's already all done. Uh, so it's like April, May, June. Um, the May release for the second issue uh, actually coincides with the. The uh, Fantastic Four seven hundred uh, ah. book that I did the cover for, so mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of fun to have those 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 two projects kind of dovetail in together. But um, but yeah, Cockshoe uh, is great. It's a it's a uh, it's a blast. It's it's just so hard to describe because it's a it's a it's it sort of takes the mo big monster movie kind of um, Godzilla kind of thing, and um, uh, just veers it into childish um uh potty humor i guess you know like so <laughs> i'm doing a terrible job of of, uh, of describing it but uh i had a blast doing it it's it, um it's a i really love drawing the, the robot the robot was a lot of fun too because he was um he's this uh sort of samurai ro 70s robot so You've got uh, the big monster fighting the '70s uh, kind of robot. It's it's just a it's just a blast from the top to bottom. Um, anyway, but uh, yeah, it's uh, that's our so and this is our second uh, real stuff coming out from Image. So the first stuff was um, the uh, Scotch McTiernan stuff, which we started with the war, Secret History of the War on Wheat, which um, also was just insane. Like uh, it started out as uh, we we found it we kind of did it backwards there was a there's a there was a release date on a wednesday of uh 420 mm -hmm. so uh, at some point jerry got wind of that and was like hey let's do a a pot kind of themed like a uh, comic book and um uh originally we were like well we'll do like a secret history of the war on weed like we were going to do like a whole sequence um in in the book where um there's all these Backs and it goes through like uh, the actual history of the war on weed, which you know went through the twenties and and all the G men and FBI and all this, all these uh, the racist angles that unfortunately like uh, illegalizing marijuana led to. And but at any rate, like we were going to put all that stuff in there, but uh, 
at some point Brian and Jerry got together and they were talking about it and they, they came up with this character called weed thing. And then I was like, Oh, that's great. Like, and I, I dropped in and there, the sequence where weed thing kind of changes Scotch McTiernan's mind about like, um, um, the, how marijuana is going to affect everybody. And, um, and that was just, that was that we were off to the races. It just got, it just got weirder and weirder. Um, so, and then the, the second, the sequel to that one was Halloween party, which that one was really interesting because uh, it was about the monsters, these, all these monsters, the Halloween monsters sort of lamenting that the real world is actually much more terrifying uh, than, than fantasy world. So like, um, we start out with an evil clown that's about to, to kill everybody. And then there's some, some incel comes and breaks down the door and shoots all sorts of people. And we thought just because the re regular world is much more terrifying at this point. So, uh, and then the monsters enlist uh, Scotch to try and save the day. Um, the third one was a holiday party, which was, um, it's kind of like um, a, a riff on um, Charles Dickens' um, uh, a Christmas Carol. So, you know, we we wind up taking uh, like high high art and low art and just jamming it all together, and current current day things, and just trying to to make it so that there's there's more than um, than meets the eye initially um but always is entertaining you know what i mean like um uh so and it's also like these independent real ideas like uh they're not just like sort of taking spider-man and, and like moving him to like have a fight with this character that you've seen a million times or a new character that you've never seen you know like we're trying to like sort of ground it in things that are happening today and um, you know, if we have things to say about the world and, uh, and life in general. So, um, uh, at least, uh, that's what I think that independent comics should be more about, like, uh, just these general, um, like if you, if you want to have a thing to say, you want to make it entertaining so that people are going to be along the ride with you. And uh, you also want to sort of like flip it so that like people have something to think about at the end of it, uh, whether they know that they're going to have something to think about, uh, whether they know it's going to happen at the beginning of the comic or not. So um, that's the kind of stuff that we're trying to do, um, you know, just to give it a little more depth uh, to tell uh, wider stories, but all ridiculously entertaining and, and fling poop around and stuff like that. So... <laughs> It's it's poop with heart, certainly. Um, you know, it, in the the original release, the announcement for uh, Giant Cockchu, uh, you wrote it. Uh, I pledged during the pandemic to start drawing comics that no one else could draw, and to spend much of my time creating things outside the major comic mainstream. So, what for you kind of inspired that uh, Batman like oath? And you know, how do you feel like that's going after after three years? Pretty good. I uh, I'm I'm excited about it. I'm I'm doing like a, a new fantasy story that I've, that I've started as well with Jerry. So I feel pretty good about the way things are going. It's um it's just when you're making stuff uh uh out of whole cloth like out of thin air, it's a it's a little bit uh, um, nerve wracking. So like it's more like um being um, on a high wire. 
and not knowing where the wire is attached to at the other end, you, it's like a fog in, in front of you. And then like at the end of each project, you're like, I think that was okay. And, um, and then you, by that point you're on the next thing. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit interesting. Um, it's, uh, like, I really felt like all the time when I was drawing like stuff for Marvel, like, um, uh, and DC, like, you know, I'm telling like uh, a story about like, let's say it's Batman and uh, Toy Man. Like Batman and Toy Man don't fight each other very often, but like, so there's something new to tell there. And um, obviously I love these characters and I love drawing them, but uh, it's kind of like you have a safety net um, that's already sort of built in, like it's Batman. And it's a and it's a toy man. If you're not a Batman fan, you're a Superman fan, and and know the toy toy man, you know. So, uh, and if and if that all fails, it's a, it's a DC comic, and DC has great relationships with retailers and and the fans. So, like uh, uh, putting something out there isn't a it's a it's is close to a sure bet that you're going to get somebody to read it. Um, so doing independent things like, uh, it's a little bit more nerve wracking, obviously, but, um, but I, 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 I did decide like around the pandemic that I, I've got to kind of, uh, sort of step up and, um, be a little bit more, um, just to be a little bit more aware of what I'm doing, you know, like, uh, just be a little bit more, um, proactive about the things that I'm doing, um. I had a project uh, that I did uh, at Marvel um, called um, How to Read Comics the Marvel Way. Mm -hmm. And that got me thinking about um, uh, what comics can say, what they have to say, um, what they have historically said. Um, the writer Chris Hastings is great. So it gave me a lot to think about when I was working on that. So that uh, by the time the pandemic really hit because we were on the, we were in the middle of issue two on that one when the when the, the pandemic hit hard like oh wow the book never even got printed to begin with it, it eventually got printed this past fall um but uh it, it gave me a lot about and and i realized you know there's not always going to be uh, a lot of opportunity uh to just sort of strike out and do your own thing so like um I just sort of took that opportunity that that the pandemic had. I did a lot of Kakshu, um during that uh, pandemic. It was originally called uh, King Dong, but there's a there's a porn uh, actor, and uh, also I think that there's a movie out there called King Dong. Uh, so we were like, well, let's steer steer clear. We almost called it um, uh, the character that's not named King Dong, but. You, you know what I mean? Like we we didn't want to get in any trouble. So, um, well, you know, it's like it, the porn the porn parodies. All they have to do is just say this eight Avengers, and and suddenly they're in the legal clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they have lawyers. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> and I I didn't want to have to go find one I, I or bother <laughs> the one that I the one that I have some contact with. So like, mm -hmm. I um, yeah, we wanted to kind of avoid that kind of stuff. Um. But yeah, I, you know, it was, it was, it, that was the general impetus is that I had worked on that, that Marvel book and it was giving me all sorts of things to think about, um, about the medium itself and uh, about what it can say, what it currently says, uh, 
And if there's some sort of like a uh, place to carve out, um, you know, stuff that has a broad humor, stuff that has, I think, some appeal to everybody when they're thinking about the world and when they're looking for some sort of entertainment. Um, so it's, it's, um, and, and of course, all these ideas that we've been working on are ideas that I, I honestly don't think anybody else would attempt. So uh, there's almost a responsibility that I feel like we have to dumb ideas to sort of say like, well, this is a dumb idea. Let's, uh, let's try and um, let's try and make it actually sing, you know what I mean? Like to, to the point where like someone can, can um, really engage with it and say, wow, I've never, I've never imagined that there would be something like that. You know, I, I am, I've been hearing that a lot from people, <laughs> you know, go like, I never thought that I'd read anything like that. And uh, it's true. You probably never were going to read anything like that, but now you will. And uh, so anyway, it comes out April 12th. And uh, so go harass your local comic shop in order to get them to carry it. And then, um, like I said, it's three issues. It's a lot, of, it's a lot of fun. It's a breezy, fun read. You know, we we tried to make it entertaining. I I think the colors are gorgeous. I worked really hard on the backgrounds, the the monster, and I hope that this doesn't uh, uh, isn't like a spoiler. But the monster is like actively like fucking buildings. So like uh, I had to go and like do a lot of research on buildings, <laughs> like what buildings <laughs> look like. You know, so like I I was really studying a lot of architecture in order to sort of like um, really get the feel for it down. You know, like it's kind of like taking um, life drawing classes if you're drawing human beings. Um, but um, so uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a blast. It's a great comic. I'm really excited about it. So fingers crossed. <laughs> I, I am I'm I'm picturing this sort of like Thanksgiving conversation with with relatives, you know. So, so Scott, what have you been up to? Well, I've been studying architecture because I, I've got a comic coming out where a giant monster uh, has sex with a building and I got to figure out, you know, where the hole's going to be. You know, does he just kind of pound yeah. it into the window or is there like a duct yeah. or plumbing or something? Don't answer that. That's a spoiler. Folks, go read the comic when it yeah. comes out. Yeah. yeah. How much rebar am I drawing into this? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, it's funny because I, I just started, um, I just came off of a run where I uh, I was drawing um, stuff for heavy metal. So I was, uh, I was drawing, I was drawing lots of dicks and, and breasts and things like that. So I was, I was getting to the point where I wasn't talking to my relatives about things that I was drawing. <laughs> but um but yeah, uh, certainly the stuff in the um, the heavy metal stuff was a, a little bit more risque than even this this book, um, but it was enjoyable just the same. So, um, and it's it's interesting to go into that sort of element of my career. I, I spent so much time, even in my twenties and thirties, doing like a lot of stuff for Disney and a lot of stuff for um, um, some of the kids kids comics for Marvel. So <laughs> like, um, worked really hard on. Um, trying to make sure that uh, you know when you're when you're approaching different audiences there there's a responsibility you have towards like uh, making sure that they're not uh, scarred by it horribly so like even when uh, we're working on Kakshu here we have a, a rated M it's a mature rating le level on it so 
Um, if I find any kids uh, uh, under 18 have started reading it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, there's going to be some whoopings that are going to be dealt out. So, um, but, uh, but the kind of stuff that I was doing before, like the Nets and um, for Disney and uh, the, uh, the Marvel Adventures stuff, uh, that was a lot of fun too. It was just not, it was nice to be able to sort of sit back and say, well, what, kind of stuff do uh, our kids going to engage with in this kind of material that I think uh, you can offer them um, to have a blast with, you know, like, and I, I still have people come up and talk to me about Jetpack Pets every once in a while, um, especially um, uh, fans of that Disney uh, Adventures magazine that was out in the grocery stores for the longest time. Uh, so you know, it, if you live long enough, you you do a lot of different things in your career. And um, I've enjoyed doing all the things, you know. So right now, I've, for some reason, I'm in a particular uh, part of my career when I, where I'm drawing monsters and, and inappropriate things, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, I don't know what, I don't know what comes out after that. I really don't. You put, you push the envelope to the point where, um, you you break through the envelope you really have to choose something else next you know so <laughs> and that's even i'm working on a fantasy book next and that's that's a little more serious we've been doing a lot of joke stuff for like a long time and this one will be a lot more serious so uh, i don't know we'll see there's <laughs> you know you you when i people often ask me they're like well what what thing would you want to work on and you know what's the thing that you want to do next and um with the exception of the Legion of Superheroes, which I've always wanted to work on, uh, I don't really have a good answer for it because sometimes I've worked on projects that I really, really, really wanted to work on. And sometimes I've worked on and on projects that I haven't given much thought about uh, until I started working on them. And uh, I often find that the projects that I hadn't given very much thought until I start working on them are the ones that I enjoy much more because you kind of freeze up about it a little less you're not so stiff about it, um, or at least that is for me. And um, it doesn't mean as much, so you can kind of put a lot of more effort into it. Um, like, uh, like I, I still, I've drawn Captain America a number of times. He doesn't, he never looks quite right to me. Like, um, uh, he's always a little bit off of the model that's in my head. Uh, even though he's always on model, I try and draw him however he's being drawn at the time whichever boots he's got on that kind of stuff but it never really looks 100% right but uh with when drawing cockshoe like the monster just always looks like the way that that's going to be there's nobody else who's drawn it you know until now <laughs> I mean so so it's kind of like uh you get to have like um a little leeway that you wouldn't have normally like uh if I was drawing the legion of superheroes um uh, even though, again, like I said, that's that was my favorite book when I was kind of growing up, or one of my favorites. So now, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you and Jerry have been working together a long time. How has that sort of, in terms of like scripting, you know, does he tend to give you at this point, uh, you know, a lot of of leeway? Like, did he, you know, or is he, you know, like how specific? I guess do things get let's say in terms of like giant cockju in terms of like notes yeah, and scene and description. Yeah, it varies. I mean, we've done stuff where Jerry's handed in scripts, especially on Deadpool towards the end, 
that were like like a Swiss watch. Like everything had its own place, and you can't really add stuff to it and have it kind of um, without like breaking the thing. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, mm -hmm. it has a specific uh, order to it. Um, with uh, Cockshoe, we had a whole bunch of discussions. A lot of the stuff in the middle is, I would say, I don't know. There's stuff that I was adding in, stuff that I was taking liberties with, like, um, like I did a whole bunch of double page spreads that I I, I think were a little gratuitous. <laughs> but um, uh, so certainly, I, I I feel comfortable doing adding my voice into the things that Jerry and I do. Um, the new project, uh, we're feeling our way. Um, uh, we've done stuff lot style sometimes, or it's just like we have a conversation and uh, I, I do the drawings and then hand it back to them with some notes uh, to either Brian or Jerry. And then like uh, they go to town on it. I, I really enjoy that aspect of, of creating with them because then I can kind of have a situation where I'll throw in uh, a few extra things and then they'll throw in some comments later, like, um, you know, that, that really make me laugh and hopefully make everybody else laugh too, because they're just so spontaneous um, from that back and forth, you know, it's a Im improv kind of thing. Sure. And uh, so, yeah, we've done different things back and forth. It really depends on like what it is that we're trying to say. If Jerry has a real strong um, idea of what he wants uh, or, uh, if I have a real strong idea of what can be added to things, sometimes I'll add things into a story. I'll get a 20 page story. I have 20 pages, but I have like three pages of extra things. I'll make sure not to lose anything. I'll just make it a little more jam packed with comedy stuff. It's really easy to do that because um, uh, really what I learned from, from doing comedy stuff is that you want to have more than one joke on every page because that, that joke might not land. Uh, if there's just one joke or two jokes it might not land okay so if you can add a few more in just some things in the backgrounds that are happening or uh, or some extra um, depth to it like um, I found that that really helps out uh, to add stuff in um, so for comedy comedy in comics is very difficult to do I, I I wouldn't recommend it for a lot of people a lot of people veer away from it they don't really because it's difficult to actually get to work, uh, people don't even bother. That's why a lot of the comics uh, that are more successful that that um, uh, people, you know, it has a whole bunch of gritted teeth, and uh, everyone's very drama drama focused. Um, humor stuff is extraordinarily difficult to do, so um, I, I wouldn't recommend it to, <laughs> to to jump in and just do it on on your own there, but. Uh, uh, certainly we've done and done things a lot of different ways. It's, it just varies. It's, it's, it's loosey goosey. We don't really have a, a pattern for it. It's, we've been working together for 11 years now. So, well, you know, that actually did answer my next one. Cause I was kind of curious, you know, as, as an artist, you know, when you're working with Jerry and, you know, when Brian Posehn's in the mix, how much you got to sort of play the, the, the yes and improv game where as an artist, where you're sort of, you know, putting in Easter eggs or additional, uh, jokes. So. Yeah. yeah yeah that's a lot of yeah like even in the the history of the secret history of the war on weed like we sat down in, in brian's backyard and talked it over uh for a couple hours and then like um uh you know i forget if it was jerry or me that like 
came up with uh because i was trying to figure out like how old scotch mccarran would have been in like 1983 like it mm -hmm. just seemed like he would have been too young to be a vietnam uh war veteran and uh and and we were just like batting i was like well what was he like seven years old in the vietnam war like and then we were like oh that's great so we were we, just, we were able to kind of like put that kind of stuff in just by talking it back and forth and then i remember um i was doing the fight sequence and we didn't really have a um an outline for that so i was trying to piece it together and i remember talking to my wife jill and i was like um I was like, I'm trying to get the sequence. Uh, they're going into a parking garage kind of thing to fight. Because uh, that's the one thing Brian had said. It, there was a fight in a parking garage. And I was like, all right, let's fight in the parking garage. That's kind of nice because you get different levels that you can go up to. And um, there's cars and stuff like that around to hide behind. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jill said, well, if it's an 80s thing, does he have a van? And I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> like I can have him attack them with a yeah, you know what I mean like an 80s van so it's it's stuff like that where you're just kind of like you, you wind up like in an improv kind of situation you wind up like at a at a brick wall but you have to get through it so it's a lot of like going like well I'll leave this page uh open and until I can think about what's happening in here and then like and then you kind of come back to it and then it's sort of magically like uh sort of squares into place um at least on the best days uh <laughs> so yeah it's uh it's interesting to do it that sort of way um but uh but yeah i i i, I i've been enjoying doing this kind of stuff i you know, i've been plotting more and i've been uh, being part of the, the story from the beginning to the end helps out a lot so uh, one last kaiju question. Uh, this one is from our grand Twitter inquisitor, Asimov Fangirl, who asked uh, delightfully, Clifford the Big Red Dog, kaiju, yes or no? I vote yes. Oh, uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I vote yes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's definitely a kaiju. Yeah, he's a giant monster, you know, uh, based on, because uh, all these, they're based on lizards or moths or, you know what I mean? Like they're based on actual animals you know what i mean like so mm -hmm. yeah 100 yep he's just uh he's he, it's the pupa stage of that particular one because my my estimation is that those books are the first like year of that dog's life do you know what i mean like mm -hmm. and then like where it's still kind of funny and then he just keeps growing you know what i mean so like my my there's a horror movie in there somewhere i'm sure it's like the way that they've got uh winnie the pooh like a horror movie kind of thing now um that someday that book will wind up in the, the public domain and and someone will fix fix well they'll finish off that story do you know what i mean the big red yep. dog <laughs> he pees on fire houses not fire hydrants yeah Ooh, yeah, there Absolutely, we go. Yeah. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you have drawn uh, connecting wraparound variant covers for Fantastic Four number seven and eight slash 700, 701 uh, out in May and June, featuring more than 700 characters who have appeared in an issue of Fantastic Four. Uh, we have already mentioned George Perez yep. uh, a couple times tonight. This certainly qualifies as a uh a Perezian task how much time did it take you to to 
draw and presumably ink and color all of this? Yeah, so this one comes from, I was, uh, I had done a, a cover a few years ago for the Deadpool wedding. Yes. Um, originally, and that was a blast. That was a weird one. Um, that one came about, a friend of mine and I were talking about, uh, there's a Dave Cockrum wedding uh, issue of, I think it's Bouncing Boy and Duo Damsel, or Lightning Lad. I think it's Bouncing Boy and Duo Damsel. Mm -hmm. They get married, and in the background, there's a, just a ton of characters uh, from the Legion history. The Wanderers in there, and it's got um, just pretty much everybody who's been in the Legion of Superheroes at that point. And uh, we were talking about how great it was, and how um, how um, how we really enjoyed it. And then I got wind that Deadpool was getting married. Uh, in the book and we, we were working because the way that we were working was I was sort of skipping around like I do like issue like seven then 13 and 14 then 19 or 20 you know what I mean like because uh, mm -hmm. I was I was I, but the book was coming out every two weeks so like it was kind of a uh, I was working up to date it was just like there were other things that were happening in between so I found out that Deadpool is getting married and I thought well, it'd be really fun to do a wedding thing just like that. And then, uh, so I contacted the editor and I said, hey, can I do a cover uh, that's kind of like this? You know, and I had a rough layout and I thought about that Spider-Man. Um, uh, when Spider-Man got married, he got married in uh, Shea Stadium. I don't know if you know that story. There's actual like actors that came out okay, as Mary okay, Jane yes. Watson, Spider-Man back in 1980, 88, 89, something like that. So... I thought it'd be really funny to have uh, uh, Deadpool in a in Shea Stadium, without naming it as Shea Stadium, with all the superheroes in the background. And uh, my editor at the time, Jordan, uh, I guess contacted the the Guinness uh, people, and um, he got the Guinness Book of World Records for it. So I was like, oh, that's really fun. You know, it was it was fun to do. And then, and then recently, um, uh, this great fellow. Uh, he did the G.I. Joe uh, cover where it was 313 G.I. Joe characters. Okay. So it kind of beat that, it kind of beat that record. And uh, I was at the Law, Los Angeles convention and uh, he came up to me and was talking to me. And I was like, well, you know, like I have nothing but respect for somebody who's going to give the, this job and uh, any effort at all to try and like do 300 and some odd characters. And I thought, that's great. And then I was like, well, how many characters was it again? And he's like 313. And I was like, all right. And then uh, just, <laughs> just about, just about before Christmas and my wife gave me the, the Marvel unlimited um, app for uh, Christmas, you know, like, you know, you can get a subscription mm -hmm. for it. And then I was looking at everything and I was like, well, you know, it'd be really fun to do, a cover with a whole bunch of Marvel characters on it. And I, I knew that Spider-Man 1000 must be coming up. So I contacted the editor on that and I said, Hey, like, um, when is Spider-Man 1000? But that's not coming up for another couple of years, but I'd CC'd, uh, Tom Brevoort on it, uh, uh the VP mm -hmm. of editorial over there uh, at Marvel. And, uh, Tom was like, well, you know, Fantastic Four 700 is coming up. And I was like, Oh, tell me more so uh <laughs> we decided on that and um 
I, I was a little over ambitious. I thought that I could fit 700 on one cover, like even if it was just a wraparound, but that's really hard to do. So I begged for like a little extra so I could do it over two issues. And uh, they said, yes, to my surprise. And, um, you know, it's the, the, it's marble numbering. So you're right. It is issue seven and eight and also issue 700 and 701. So like, uh, it's, it's a little, it's a little confusing, a little more confusing than I wanted it to be, uh, that way, but, um, it's a blast. I, I went through all 700 issues because I had the Marvel app, the unlimited app. And, um, and I went through all 700 issues and I would take like little screenshots and, just to see which ones I wanted in. I, I knew a lot of them. Like, um, I mean, obviously I read the Fantastic Four a lot. So like, and and there's big ones that you have in there like Doctor Doom and Galactus and and uh, the Watchers and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I really wanted to get like uh, everyone I possibly could. The initial count was somewhere around 755. Um, and I had to kind of whittle it down to close to 700. It's a little over 700 in the end because I, I just couldn't bear losing some of these characters, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> which is my own weakness. But I just I didn't want to. There's a whole bunch. I, I kind of regret like I I wasn't able to put uh, Union Jack in there like uh, I could have put Union Jack in there. But he only really appeared in like one or two panels mm -hmm. in uh, uh, issue during the DeFalco run. So like I wasn't able to put him in there. Um or I just chose not to do it. Basically, like uh, I just decided to do as many as I could. There were some really fascinating characters in there that I really had no kind of uh, conception of. Like, there's a character named like Blood Child or something like that. That mm. he was really fun, like to draw. Um, he's kind of up in the front there. Like they're all standing on Sandman. Um, there's just a whole bunch of characters that are floating and flying. Like I made sure that uh, characters like Galactus and uh, Doctor uh, Doctor Doom and um, uh, you know Doctor Strange and um, the 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 Super Scroll. Like those those guys are all pretty much up front. But I I pulled a whole bunch of other characters that I thought would be kind of fun and important in my own head to like pull up front so like even though the hulk is in there like um next to the hulk is like um uh, thundra you know and next to thundra is uh there's a character named like uh hyper hyperstorm yes but uh he just had a great costume i kind of liked him and then next to hyperstorm is there's a new character that somebody did in uh, one of the most recent issues uh called space boy and I just, I love that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like uh, there's a continuum of uh, creativity that the Fantastic Four has that uh, um, that really like uh, just makes it sing, you know, like it's it's got so much stuff um, and everybody puts all their effort into it when they're working on it. There, nobody is ever slacking um, on any of these books when they're working on the Fantastic Four at least, because I think everyone's a big fan that they're when they're working on it, so um there were there were periods of time where there's not a lot of new characters being introduced because you know, whatever writer or whatever artist they want to do their own galactus story or their own dr doom story so you wouldn't have a lot of additions but uh mm -hmm. god bless the claremont run because there's a ton of wacky characters that come in and there and tom defalco had a ton of crazy characters that came in the stuff from 
from Hickman too, especially um, mm-hmm. Jonathan Hickman has a, a ton of great characters that came in and out of there. And I put a couple ringers in there too. So uh, people would try to, I knew people would try and, and ding me on it. They would say, aha, <laughs> missed this character. You added this character in. And, and what I did was um, up front on the first cover, Colossus, Cyclops and Nightcrawler are kind of up up in the front, but they're not the Cyclops, uh, Colossus, and Nightcrawler that uh, everyone thinks that they are. They're the the scrolls that impersonated those characters in issue two forty nine and two fifty. So uh, the great thing about that is everyone would find, like I put Colossus from when he appeared in the the Tom DeFalco run. Um, I put him in somewhere in a different spot, you know, and uh, I put Cyclops from when he appears in the first uh, first uh, Kirby run um, when the, the uh, Fantastic Four fight the X-Men at some point, I think in the annual uh, where Reed gets married. But at any rate, like um, I put that version of Cyclops in there. So everyone was kind of like, aha, you know, but I was like, uh, is it an aha or is it not an aha? <laughs> And then what I realized is actually Nightcrawler, as far as I can tell, never makes an appearance, the actual Nightcrawler, never makes an appearance in the book. Um, He's just either missing from whatever X-Men team there is, because I think he's in Excalibur for a while. Mm -hmm. So when the X-Men are running through the book, they're fighting um, the Magus, I never know how to pronounce that one, Magus, Magus. It's the one that's the... um, uh, uh, he's the, the evil Adam Warlock one. Yeah, the evil Adam Warlock. It's supposedly the future Adam Warlock, which yeah. never quite got. Uh, yeah, the evil Adam Warlock. They're fighting him, and uh, Colossus is in that group um, at that point, fighting people. So are some members of Alpha Flight. So I was able to add Puck and um, Guardian, but and Sasquatch. But uh, for other reasons, I, I just that I can't de- determine. I, I don't know why North Star and Aurora. And I just guess they weren't on the team at the time or something like that. And then um, I, I, I kind of, I, there's a, there's a character in there that I think is shaman or shaman, uh, mm-hmm. but I couldn't necessarily tell because nobody ever spoke to him. He was just sort of in the room. He wasn't in his normal costume. He was in some sort of black outfit, like completely black. Um, so I, I couldn't tell that it was him. So I left him out just because I was like, I don't know who this is exactly. And if I don't know who this is, I don't want to be uh, putting that character in, like uh, if I can't tell who it is, you know? So uh, stuff like that, That's it's just a blast. I, I put in all sorts, I put in a Doom bot in there, like as a, another <laughs> ringer. Like, someone was like, he drew Dr. Doom twice. And I was like, did I? Because that, that <laughs> Doom bot is from, that's a, that's a Doom bot. It's a specific one from uh, the arcade, story where he fights the x-men and you know you can't see the scratch on his his armor there (laughs) but it's there and um it's just a lot of fun because there's a whole bunch of characters that like there's one called there's one called like a lilicum or something like that he's a giant tongue he's like a giant pink huge tongue and uh he was interesting to put he's got like one eye and uh it's one of those uh those names that has like no vowels and like an apostrophe in there somewhere. 
so uh he was a blast to do i mean like i got all all the all of um galactus's like heralds were in there that i could sort of piece together um there was one actually there's only one character in here from the the uh jim lee run uh he had a herald of galactus named plasma which was great the rest of the run just has a lot of the same things you expect out of everybody when they do a Fantastic Four run, they want to do their own version of it. So there'd be some different versions of the the Inhumans, but I had a whole bunch of those in these other spots and I tried to determine that I wasn't going to repeat myself. So if Crystal appears in this uh, cover, I didn't want to have like a, a different version of Crystal in there. Like for instance, uh, Giant Man is, a, is super easy to make a whole bunch of different Giant Mans, but what I did was I just have one Hank Pym uh, mm. in here as, as Giant Man, and then I have Scott Lang in, a, in as a Ant Man uh, in just one of the armors that he was in, which I thought was uh, it was an armor that he never uses like outside of that book. So I thought it would be fun to draw that version of it. Um, there is like a future Thor, but I don't think that it's actually Thor. Like I couldn't really tell. That story was a little confusing. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, the, all the future Foundation kids were a lot of were a blast to do. Um, those are kind of tough because it was hard to tell what numbers they all were, because uh, oftentimes people would draw them without like showing the numbers. Um, so it took me a little while to figure out that like Bentley is like number thirteen, and, and the um, the uh, little mole men guys are like uh, ten, eleven, and twelve. I'm still not 100% certain. I think number 14 is the head, but I, I can't really tell. There's a there's a head, like, you know, uh, uh, one of the mole men is like a head that's floating around. I think that's number 14, but, uh, or no, maybe it isn't number 14. Well, at any rate, I don't know how to, how to piece that one together. So at any rate, there's a whole bunch of really great stuff in there. I put all the different versions of Herbie that I could find. There's eight different versions of Herbie that I could find. Oh, wow. um, I put all the kids in Power Pack in, and I put in Alex Power in uh, his uh, Future Foundation costume. Um, you know, when I was a kid, like one of the first Fantastic Fours I ever got was the Eliminator. Um, you know, he was a villain. He was like a cybernetic villain for... Uh, the uh, witches uh, in Salem. <laughs> I didn't quite know exactly how they had like a giant robot man, but um, nobody's ever addressed that. It's always <laughs> such a weird thing. But uh, and uh, Machismo, I liked Machismo. He's, he was a lot of fun. There's a there's a whole bunch of alternate universe characters that that were in there. Like so, um, there's a couple uh, during the Claremont run. Uh, there's a character named Torque. I think is a Susan Storm kind of alternate universe character. There's a there's a, a counter Earth version of Johnny Storm that's like a hockey like a cosmic hockey player. Um, there's the brute who's like a, a counter Earth version of Reed Richards. Like that was just a lot of fun to throw in, you know. Like um, you know, uh, uh, Franklin appears a couple times. I had him as when he ages up. And then when he appears as like a cybernetic warrior from the future and stuff like that, like um, Wolverine's in there because he's a member of the Fantastic Four briefly as like a, it was like the him, the Hulk and uh, Ghost Rider and Spider-Man. Yep. 
Spider-Man I put in in his future foundation costume because I never got I've never gotten to draw that costume before. So um, Namor is super important. Thor is super important for that book. Um, it's just a blast. You know, I have so many characters that run in and out of this. All the Inhumans, um, you know, just just really important stuff. I thought, and it was just really neat to be able to touch touch base with that. Like um, this year, especially when I'm I'm out doing my own comics. Like uh, it's nice to be able to sort of give back to something that I love um, in a way that's not going to take me all year to do. So. There you go. That's Fantastic Four and over 700. It's really neat. I, I think I think everyone will like it when it's put together. I'm hoping they'll put out a poster of it. I'm, I'm thinking of making a print of it for the convention circuit. So. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's long, though. It's uh, As near as I can tell, it's three feet long. I mean, the actual original is three and a half feet long, so... Wow. Um, I have to figure out if I can sell, like if I can even travel with a print that's three feet long. That's, that's what I'm kind of deciding. And <laughs> I don't know if I can. So. <laughs> Got to so, consider those logistics. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of logistics in comics and that's one of them. So. All right. So I have a question that's, that's going back a ways, but yeah. so as a side project, uh, right now, I have a separate podcast that is dedicated solely to the Excalibur cast member Pete Wisdom. Now, you, oh, inked, sure. yeah, okay. So you you inked a few different artists on Excalibur from about 102 to 122 back in the day, and you've obviously inked and drawn a lot of comics over the years. But I was wondering if there was anything that stands out to you about that particular book in that particular era. Yeah, so Warren uh, Ellis had a, a, and he still has this uh, habit, um, he will draw a smoking British person with uh, um, not that big a power set, like, uh, they're almost kind of normal, mm-hmm. like he'll be in a suit or an outfit that's kind of like, um, uh, look like a, looks like a suit or an outfit, like, that normal people would kind of wear, and a, a smoking, sarcastic British person, and he'll drop that person in almost as like a stand-in for himself so he can kind of i think this is just me guessing uh get some in, in some way into the, the 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 stuff that he's writing so pete wisdom was that kind of character um and uh, uh if you look at um the authority um the jenny century that's another kind of uh, sarcastic British, but he just made it a female in that, that version. Sure. And I forget there was something else that he was doing. I really like his work. I thought it was always so brilliant. So, um, but uh, yeah, when I was working on Excalibur, there was that, that aspect of it. I, Pete Wisdom was kind of interesting. He was sort of dating Kitty Pride at the time. Yep. Um, I, I, you know, most people have kind of forgotten that, you know, one of those forgettable boyfriends, I guess. But um, uh, for uh, for Pete was kind of interesting because uh, he was just a kind of an interesting guy to have on the team. I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't know exactly what to make of him because he wasn't really the leader of the team, mm-hmm. but he was uh, uh, sort of a curmudgeonly presence. Um, I thought he added a lot to the dynamics of the team at the time. Um, I didn't really understand the light knives as much uh, as far as that 
that power set goes, but uh, it, at least it's a long range kind of uh, weapon. And True. most of those characters in that team were uh, uh, fighters up close. So you got Colossus, uh, you Nightcrawler, could teleport, but can't use like ray beams or anything like that. And um, uh, Megan was just a shape changer. Uh, Captain Britain, Brian was just a, a brawler kind of character. So like, it was nice to have some sort of way of adding to the power set of the team. Um, um, and I really enjoyed inking over uh, that run. I, I did, the first stuff I did on that was I actually penciled in like five pages of, of an issue, um, but it was in between like two Brian Hitch issues. So it's, it was kind of doomed from the start to be like, oh, like people would pick it up and go, oh, this isn't Brian Hitch. And then the next issue would be Brian Hitch. And they're like, oh, thank God Brian Hitch is back. You know, so, um, but uh, but that was really fun for me to do. It, it was unfortunate I had to kind of race to get it done. I, but uh, but that's that's comics, especially, you know, you're always racing against the clock. Sure. Um, Excalibur was a lot of fun to do. I really liked uh, working on it. There was a lot of different artists. So there was Salvador La Roca for a while. There was... Um, Boy, we had a rotating cast. Melvin Ruby, I remember. Yep. Came, uh, Till Eaglesham did a few issues. So, and then the book was canceled, I think, at like 125. Yep. So by that time, I was off doing something else. I forget, maybe Captain America or something like that. I was living in New York at the time. It was just a blast to be able to be in the offices um, at Marvel. I don't, I don't even know that they let a lot of freelancers into the offices any longer, but... Um, uh yeah it was a really neat time so I, I really had a blast doing it um excalibur was great I, I had a good time i think i was on electro at the same time too or something like that mm -hmm. maybe or captain america i was doing like two or three books a month back then so um, it wasn't uncommon for me to do about 70 or 80 pages a month which is a lot to do but wow. but, uh, but really fun and then um uh, I had to actually, it's funny when I switched over to penciling, like uh, my output obviously drops from being able to do 70 pages a month to, um, you know, somewhere close to 20. And uh, it, it's always been like a, a little bit of a, a adjustment for me to, to not think that I can get a, a tremendous amount of work done. <laughs> you know, like a Herculean amount of work done uh, when you're inking. Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to when you're sitting down and doing the layouts and the penciling and then the inking itself. So um, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I've been in the industry for a long time. I've seen it go through a lot of different changes. I like where the industry's at right now. I think that uh, there's a lot of really great stories out there. There's a lot of independent voices, which I think that this, this uh, industry always excels at doing it ha always has uh, just people who can tell a story um, in a way that they can't tell a story in any other medium like um, it costs so much to do tv and movies and there's so many hands in it that uh, in comics you can do something kind of down and dirty you can get your your point across um, and to work in a way that uh, has there are almost no guardrails as to what you can and can't do. And um, I really like comics for that aspect. And I think 
with a lot of the stuff over at Webtoons and a lot of stuff that comes out of Image and a lot of stuff that comes out of Marvel and Scholastic Books and um, Random House and all these other places like uh, the YA material that's coming out that's really successful. Like I'm just really excited about the medium. I think that it's when I first started working in Marvel, uh, I, I would sit down and talk to John Sr. and he would say that you know, back in the 50s, he thought that they would, this would be over, the comics would be done. And again, in the 70s, he thought the same thing, that it would just be done. And it never has. <laughs> so, like, you know, like, uh, whenever I hear uh, everyone, everyone always loves to prognosticate and uh, decide that uh, comics are, are just about to die. Um, I'm just reminded of the fact that uh, it never has. It's always mutated and grown and it may not be something that you're you're uh, reading but it may be something that your neighbor's reading or your neighbor's kids are reading so like it's never going to fully go away um uh i think um so comics do have a little bit of a chip on their shoulders as far as like um um when people learn to read in the u.s there's a hierarchy um so basically you're you you have like an apple like a real apple and then you'll have a drawing of an apple and that's the that's the representation of the thing the real thing so you've got an apple that's the real thing you can hand an apple to a kid that's great they understand what the apple is when you want to put it on a two-dimensional surface with color or not with color and you've drawn an apple that's a little bit more of a reach for them to like, they sit there and they go, when I'm reading something visually, that this is the depiction of it, you know, so that's Apple. And then you put a word underneath it. You know, when you're showing the actual like the Apple, you'll put Apple underneath it. So the kid associates uh, that image and that, that thing with that word. So uh, comics, uh, unfortunately, are kind of, um, they straddle all of those worlds. Um, but most people in the U.S. are taught to read. Once you once you understand the word Apple, they'll move away from having to show you the Apple all the time. So they, they, they've almost made it so that it's like, um, it's a stepping stone kind of thing in order to read um, everything in an Excel file that your boss is going to give you in the future, just for an example of why they've taught you to read at all anyway so like uh, but but comics because they have that visual medium uh combined with the text um it's it's almost treated as if it's like um uh, for some people they're they're like well i've moved on from reading that way you know what i mean so i think comics are always quite going to be a little a little bit limited in that fashion and i've noticed that a lot of people who don't read comics in any Kind of regular basis they don't really have that understanding of the visual um uh, paired with the text like i'll get people say well i don't know which one to start reading first and um <clears throat> i guess i never worried about that you know it was a, something that i was i always kind of wind up reading at the same time like i like i'll be like one eye is almost on the image and one eye is on the text and um <clears throat> you know the great thing about, about uh, having that juxtaposition of words and, and images is that you can juxtapose them so that you can have it where there's someone jumping out a window uh, and then you can say this character jumping out of a window. You know, the, the text can just be there to reinforce the actual image that's in front of you. 
or the person could be jumping out the window and um, they can say like butterflies are beautiful in May. Do you know what I mean? It, that, that evokes like a different response for your brain. Like automatically you take the, uh, the actual action of the thing and the text that it's talking about and uh, your brain is trying to, to combine the two. You know, so that that to me is more exciting uh, than just uh, reading a book where it's telling me somebody is jumping out a window or watching a movie where somebody's jumping out a window. Do you know what I mean? Like um, uh, movies and especially uh, it's almost completely frowned upon to have a, a narration nowadays. You know what I mean? That's uh, that's going along with a movie because uh, most people in a movie environment when they're putting a movie together if you're adding in a narrate narrative element like a narr overhead overheard narration like a narrator it's usually because you haven't been able to get across the thing that you want to get across but movies very rarely do a thing where they have like uh unless it's like uh, like lolita where you have an unreliable narrator like mm -hmm. uh uh, you, you they rarely have, have a situation where someone will be jumping out of a window and then the narrate narration from who knows who uh, talking about butterflies in may do you know what i mean so we just don't have that uh commonly out there but in comics it's it's super common it's it's something that happens almost all the time um that was the thing that fired up my imagination with you know, comic books like Watchmen and stuff like that, where like the the, narr the narration and the and the, the images are dovetailing together uh, to tell a wider and richer and deeper story than you would ever get separate. And uh, I think that there's things that comics do that uh, movies and TVs don't do, and plays don't do, and and books don't do. And and you can the great thing about comics you can grab from anything. It used to be that they, we would have all these narration boxes that's a kissing cousin of uh, the old novels, you know, where you would have like a description of something going on. Then you would have like some, some person's inner narration, which is like a thought balloon kind of thing. And then you would have the things that people are talking about, which are the actual word balloons. But I think people read novels a lot less or something. Uh, comics uh, these days are more, uh, the script that everybody gets, it has more to do in common with like old man plays um, where, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a stark kind of environment uh, and the, the characters are like just playing head games with one another without actually knowing what's going on in their heads. Um, you know, you don't have thought balloons in a man of play. So we don't have thought balloons in a lot of stuff anymore, but I, I, that kind of stuff, people recognize a thought balloon, like just see, it's, it's part of the language of comics that uh, we might not use very much anymore, but people recognize it immediately um i you know i kind of wish that people would do more thought balloons but at any rate um comics are a great medium i think that uh, this is a wonderful time to be reading them to be honest so uh ab absolutely and uh you know that that were that was some uh you know while, while you were you were you were talking about that i just i kind of kept picturing a a new edition of of Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics that stars Scotch McTiernan, and I think that would do very well. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe I'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I would see him every once in a while on the uh, the circuit. Very thoughtful guy. I really liked those books. Um, he did uh, Understanding Comics, and I think there was uh, there was a one afterward, like Inventing Comics or something like that. 
um, all great books. I, I really can't, I can't recommend them highly enough. Um, when I was doing the how to read comics the Marvel way, I deliberately stayed away from uh, uh, Scott's book just mm-hmm. because I, kind of, I already knew it by heart and I didn't want to repeat anything uh, over and over again. But uh, yeah, there's a, yeah, that'd be fun. I would love to do that. That'd be great. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, listen, Scott, this has been a uh, fantastic time. Final question as we release you back into the world. Uh, how can people follow you online and keep up with, with giant cockju and uh, everything else that you have going on? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Koblish. Um, I got it early enough that I didn't really understand that I should have put Scott Koblish. And then someone swooped in and took Scott Koblish, which was confusing to me, but they never really did very much with it. So I used to, I used to use it as a, as a boost. So, but anyway, like, um, uh, at Koblish is there on Twitter. Uh, Instagram is another great place to catch, uh, any, uh, goings on. That one is, uh, at Scott Koblish there. So, uh, and then I'll have a, I'm going to put a, together a mailing list um to sort of keep people abreast of the things that are going on this year because there's a lot of stuff coming out um even after kakshu is done uh we'll probably have the fantasy book coming out and i don't want people to miss that uh yeah so catch me on instagram scott koblish and catch me on twitter at uh, koblish so great right on scott well thank you very much for coming on the show of course no trouble thank you very much for having me i know that i rambled on and on and on and uh, uh, but it's uh, sort of the end of a Monday where I'm just sort of like, uh, I'm a little more thoughtful than I need to be probably. So <laughs> oh, we love for me. We love a good ramble. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a Pete Wisdom Hot Claws sticker designed by Kevin Newburn. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $4 donation gets you access to Our Son Pete and the sticker. A $25 donation lets you plug your crowdfunded or creator-owned comic in a 60-second spot. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Kat Purcell, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from Comics XF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, and Azabov Fangirl, a.k.a. The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF, assuming Twitter still works. And until next week, remember, somewhere out there, there's a Batman comic where all the characters simply cannot stop saying the word boner. WMQA.